This is the Real Estate Foundation, your show for massive action with proven results. Raise your life and your legacy with real estate. Are you ready to take your multifamily game to the next level? Well, you need to join us October 12th, Saturday, October 12th, for our one-day multifamily foundation workshop. We're going to bring it to you live. We got a list of 15 speakers that are going to go through the process of everything it takes to get your mind right, get the deal right, learn the terms, understand the markets, learn how to find the deals, learn how to underwrite the deals, learn how to put your team together, everything from property managers to brokers to insurance companies. Beyond that, what's the proper way to raise funds for a deal and how to close a deal and what to do after you take over a deal. So it's going to be a huge event. It's going to be awesome for you to join us. Got a great space. It's going to be here in New Jersey, in Springfield, New Jersey. Of course, it's going to be a one-day event, but we got everything packed in from 8 a.m. to 7 p.m. Right now, if you put in the code workshop, you're going to get a special discount. And again, that code is workshop, but you need to go to multifamilyfoundationworkshop.com. Again, www.multifamilyfoundationworkshop.com and go fast because we've sold a ton of tickets for this. I actually was able to get a bigger room, so but that's filling up quickly as well. So again, www.multifamilyfoundationworkshop.com. Put in the code uh, workshop. There we go. Got that down and look forward to seeing you so we can all take massive action together. Well, hello again and welcome to another edition of the Real Estate Investing Foundation podcast. Happy Wednesday. Thanks so much for checking back with us today. We are super excited. We have Mike Green on the show. How you doing? Great. Thanks for being on the show, man. It's well, awesome. Very thank exciting. you for having us. And now for this, Mike Green is the host of the Flip Factor podcast and has flipped over 1,100 and that is correct, 1,100 houses in the last 10 years. He brings a vast amount of experience to building systems to automate his fix and flip business with a special focus on building a high converting sales process, managing contractors to finish flips on time and on budget, and amplifying profits on every flip, all while working less hours. If you can think about that, working less hours doing 1,100 flips and automating the process. He spent the last three years challenging every outdated belief he had about flipping a house, all in the effort to run a more lean flipping business that offers tremendous to do whatever the heck he wants. Well, I love it. I mean, that's just awesome, Mike. So super excited to have you. I'm going to love this. People are going to love this. We're going to talk about how you can do so much and still have so much time on your side, which is incredible. But before we get into that, Take us back. What was the impetus and what was the start that you jumped into flipping? So for me, it was, uh, I had always wanted to be in real estate. I'd seen the infomercials as a young person, always had an entrepreneurial spirit. Uh, didn't really grow up around anyone who was doing flipping because I grew up poor. So we didn't get any role models that were like, hey, this is how you do it. But other than when I was kicked out of school and suspended for getting in trouble and I was up late watching Carlton Sheets tell me I can get rich with no money. And he always had, a, you know, his commercial was always in front of a Rolls Royce and uh, with a bunch of hot girls around. It was kind of like Ty Lopez these days, right? It was really interesting. So I was 16 year old broke kid I was very like okay real estate's going to be the way now it took me about 14 years later at around 30 that I was actually a flooring installer and that's what I did for a living I was where I landed with no education I was just doing some manual labor you know I made a living at it made about 100k a year but the problem was I was spending about 125 every year so I was pretty in debt at the time well over 100k in debt matter of fact and uh, but I met this guy when I was doing flooring and he was flipping a house so of course you know I'm 
super pumped about, you know, dreaming about doing it, watching all the flipping shows, flip this house and all that. And, you know, really just, uh, when I seen that, I was like, dude, like, how did you do this? And he's, Hey, you got to go see this guy. So now this is super common now where he's like, Hey, go to this free event, like a meetup, but it was, uh, he was having back 10 years ago, but he was like the only guy having that 10 years ago. Now it's like one a week. You know, yeah. Even, right. Yeah. 50 a day, right. They're everywhere. There's webinars, but no one was really sharing this information 10 years ago. So he was like one of the few people willing to be like, Hey, I've been doing this 30 years and I'm not really a guru, but I'm just going to teach you the systems I use to do what I'm doing every day. And, uh, and it cost me 15 K at the time, which I did not have. But since I was on that role of being in debt, I was like, okay, what's another 15 K who cares? Uh, I'm glad I made that decision. Cause I, up to that point in my life, I think I had invested probably a thousand bucks in my education in my entire life. So what a big jump to give you like 15 K with uh, some random dude I met at a meetup. Uh, however, it did change my life because I was looking for about nine months trying to find a house and, you know, trying to break in and, uh, like just six weeks of working with them. I had my first deal. And that was kind of all she wrote from there. I was like, uh, I was so passionate about it that about a year later, I was able to quit my job and do it full time. And uh, then I met a partner and me and him built a really amazing business and got it to be about 150 houses a year. Um, then my my journey led about seven years into that, realizing that 150 houses a year sounds cool. And everyone thought I was pretty cool for doing it, but it just wasn't really the perfect business model. So I went on this journey about three years ago, uh, all about lean flipping and building systems and figuring, really challenging myself to figure out how to do less, like scale down so I can make more. So I'm really big now on like every year I just keep taking my volume down instead of up like most people, but my profits are continually scaling up. So I'm scaling profits instead of volume. And I think that was the big mistake that uh, I fell into. And I feel like a lot of people fall into these days is like, I'm going to scale my volume up to make more money instead of just making their business more productive. You know, the, so there's a few points I have to touch on there. And the first is, you know, so you're talking about the, the debt you were going into too. And you said, okay, I'm just going to go into this other form of debt, which is now investing in myself. And to that point, you'd only done a thousand hours. When you talk about that, why are people so scared to invest in themselves? Like, what is the fear that you think that holds people back from, you know, because a lot of people, you said, Hey, give me 15,000 hours. I'm going to teach you exactly how to make your life better. And they say, Oh, I don't, I, that 15,000 hours is a lot. What is it that holds people back? I mean, honestly, I think it's, uh, and for me, I'll just speak on myself. I think uh, it's doubt in ourselves, right? I mean, we've never done it before. And I think we resist things that we've not either seen someone do or we've not personally done. So I honestly had seen no one do this. And I just was really going out on a limb on this because uh, it was one of the few times in my life where I manned up and actually took a stance for myself. But even then I was thinking like I was spending 15K. It wasn't like I was investing it. And when you think about what I do every day, I make decisions to invest. And I imagine you're doing this even at a higher level, but I make decisions to invest hundreds of thousands of dollars, like on a weekly basis. But you're right. If someone was like, Mike, I could teach you how to improve your business. And a matter of fact, about three and a half years ago, I did have this scenario where I hired a very high level coach and I was three grand a month. So it's pretty expensive. Now yeah. I've been working with him since then. So that's how much value he's bringing to me. A friend of mine at hard money bankers, uh, he does a little coaching, but also is a very big hard money lender. I had lunch with him. He's like, Mike, do you think this guy could save you three grand a month? And then mm. I'm like, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, because I'm doing like, you know, 10 houses at a time, you know, doing 30 houses a year, 40 houses a year at the time. So of course he could find a way to save me three, you know, one little small change could save me that 3k. And he's like, well then just think of it like that. Like you're probably going to waste it just not having an outside 
person look at your stuff and help you evaluate your stuff and keep you on track. So uh, I made the jump and did the 3K. This was the second time in my life where I actually invested in me because even then, seven years into it and seeing coaching had worked over the years, I still was looking at it as an expense, like something I'm spending every month. And I, I made, I think for me, I believe three years ago is when I made the shift to realize that education is something that uh, if I hold myself accountable to get value from it, then I'm not really spending money. I'm investing it just like when I buy a house. And you know what you did to stop and just take, basically just stop and say, wow, we're doing so much volume, but is this the best use of our time? Most, most people fall in the trap where they just have to do more and more and more and they can't take that step outside. Was, was, that, was that coach or mentor helpful in targeting that point or had that realization coming about because so many people fall off the cliff and it would be like the blockbuster routine. Like, hey, we're doing so great you know, as blockbuster. This Netflix thing will never happen. We're just going to keep doing, pounding away and it will just work out and all of a sudden they fall off a cliff. Yeah, no reason to evolve, right? Because right. we're 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 gonna do this the same thing eternally. So not only I only really talk about him now because he's kind of the I've had many coaches over the years and uh, a lot of gurus I've spent thirty k with and you know all the money you've everyone's seen that before and um, they've given me small help, little small amounts of help where this particular person wasn't necessarily a coach where I feel like he was different. And the reason I don't believe in coaching as much as I believe in what he offered, uh, he offered more business consulting. He was kind of a fixer. He came in and looked at what I was doing, how I was doing it. And weekly, every week me and him worked on not just like going through and fixing things, but identifying my most profitable areas in my business. Uh, then also identifying the areas that were kind of sucking the life out of my business that for whatever reason, I don't know, we all tend to want to do the things that we don't make money with. We, yeah. maybe it's a challenging thing. Like, Oh, I'll beat it. I'll make it work. And uh, so he was able to like say, Mike, this is what's dragging your business down. This is what's crushing it. Now we know what's crushing it. Let's start building systems around everything that's working well. And then everything that's not working has to now become avoided all costs. Like no matter, matter what, like you can't do that under any circumstance, which then became a discipline thing because I found myself drawn to the 80% that was sucking my profits away. For whatever reason, I was drawn to it because I think at some time, some level, maybe this is just for me personally, maybe other listeners will identify, but at some level, I think um, the things that are easy and make the most money tend to be a little more mundane and boring, right? So he was like, the boring stuff is where all the money's made. Now, if you take that boring stuff and you take it to the next level, like instead of just being a great swimmer, become like Michael Phelps level of swimmer, uh, then you're going to see some great profits. And like legitimately, that's how I was able to go from doing a ton of volume, making you know half million bucks a year to doing like 30 houses a year and doing making a million. It was literally like I doubled my income and I cut my volume down by like 60 or 70% and my income skyrocketed because I stopped doing the things that were eating my time and, and money. That's huge, right? Mundane and boring makes the most money. It's so true, right? You, you watch these shows on TV and every, every house is so exotic and has so many different things they do to it and just the time and encompassing amount of just energy spent to do that. Is that the best use of your time or is it doing the same house over and over and over again and just replicating your process? So there, there's definitely someone here listening that, that is maybe flipping one house at a time, just going to the point, you know, and, and just really just in it, you know, they're, they're doing the tile, they're doing, you know, they're, they're, they're doing the paint, they're, they're doing the trim work, you know, to the finish, right? It, Take us back and talk to us about how you began to first unravel yourself into the business just to grow yourself into actually having a business. What, what did that process look like? 
for me, it was the, the big part where I went from me being in the house. Cause I, the first few houses, I was definitely very involved in it and, you know, kind of handy figuring things out. I came from doing flooring. So obviously I did the flooring, but I knew how to use a saw. So that got me, you know, thinking yeah. I could do trim and doors and cabinets and other stuff. And uh, it wasn't the best use of my time. Cause my first house took me about four months and it was like 50, 40 K renovation took me four months. And a lot of that four months I was working in the house almost daily. So uh, obviously house two, I had to figure out how to start creating some ways of knowing how how do I hire people out? And I tried the GC route and it didn't work very well where I was just giving someone, you know, a third down and hoping they did what they promised. And obviously they never did that. So uh, where things start to really turn and work really well for me was, and, and I would advise anyone starting to have this control is when I really created, started creating like standardized pricing, but also standardized times for everything that I do. So it was almost like uh, I learned this from, if you've ever seen a mechanic, they have like their book and it says the brakes for a car on a 1990 Honda civic take two and a half hours of time to do at 150 bucks an hour and that's kind of how they charge you and uh so they have standardized pricing in time for the work and i started creating that for my rehabs and understanding okay to hang a door uh, i started testing like okay i had this guy who was like essentially a crackhead and like legitimately a crackhead they were paying like 50 bucks a day we, we videoed him and he did a door and it took him 48 minutes to do a door then i did one it took me 15 minutes so i realized <laughs> when people are like well you pay 50 bucks to install a door I might be overpaying a little bit for that since it only takes a good carpenter 15 minutes and most good carpenters are okay making 30 to 50 bucks an hour. So I'm like, maybe we can pay 25 bucks a door and, you know, and then show them how they can do it in 15 minutes or they can hire a crazy drugged out crackhead for 50 bucks a day and he could do like legitimately five or six doors and make you money. So it was all about learning that like there's room for me to make money and my contractor to make money as long as my contractor understands standardized time to do the work and they're not taking three days to do a one day job. Because that's where a lot of our relationships fall apart with contractors is when, you know, they come in, they, they see a framing a basement to be two guys for two days. And I see it as like two guys for one day. And uh, I and, love it. You know, so somebody has to be right. So I got in and tested and I was like, well, let's just do it and see like if I can do it in a day, then obviously a real carpenter should be able to do it at least as fast as me. You know, and I, and someone is actually listening right now and saying to themselves, you know, a, a contractor would hate that. But if you think about it from the contractor side, not all of them are business people. Usually you're good at the business or you're good at the job. And if you could come in and just know exactly what you're going to get paid right up front, you don't have to go out there and look at the job and then go back there and price it and then send out the quote. You're basically just told what the terms are. There's a lot of contractors would love that model because it's, it's very clear for them. They can jump in, they can do more jobs because they're not running around trying to get the work done and then also find the work and quote the work at the same time time. So that's, that's really interesting. And so you take that model, you implement it to the business. Well, what's the next step? Where, where do you go from there? And once you have that, obviously, I think there's two real core things when we're, we're buying and selling houses. Obviously, finding your deals and then being able to convert them to money is really the two areas where you spend all your time. So obviously, you got to have a great system for marketing, prospecting, and being focused on what I call four and star, five-star prospects because there's a lot of noise right now, right? When we send letters out or we go on the MLS and wholesalers, there's a lot of, like my email blows up with 100 emails a day of opportunity. And uh, the key is how do I take and weed through 99 of them really effectively and like, you know, half hour to an hour, but then instantly be able to focus on, okay, there's the one of the day that I need to put my time into. And that becomes my five-star prospect. And now once I know what that is, now I'm doing a great job of really taking and getting rid of the, the what I call time wasters and distractions. Because if I was even to look at five of those deals, I, I literally just would legitimately never get through those five. Like to really fully evaluate, go see five properties, that is like an eight-hour day to, to do a good job on it. And I have other things going on, so I can't necessarily put eight hours. So when, when I don't take and 
choose my top house of the day, then I often just divide my attention and get a pretty poor result on all five. Uh, versus when I pick the most likely one, which I call the five-star prospect, um, then I just go and put all my effort into that. And I just like put blinders on and tune everything else out until that deal's either not done or complete, but I know where I'm at. And uh, when I started doing that, my conversion doubled. Uh, and yeah. I use that across the board. I use it with MLS. Last year, we did a 17 deals off the MLS, did nine deals with wholesalers. Uh, and, you know, mailing started to just like convert at double the rate of before, which was super important since it's uh, we're getting about half the return that we got maybe five years ago and cost of mailers and all marketing has went up over the last couple of years. So now the, my, my uh, counterplay to that essentially is like, okay, I'm not getting as many leads. So I have to take the leads I'm getting and I have to convert more from those. So I started taking my average time at an appointment from 45 minutes to two and a half hours now. And uh, since now people love me and like me, I'm commonly being like, you know, cause I spend time with them that others aren't. And, uh, and I've made a whole complete shift to what I call anti-selling. I, mean, I used to know all the cool sales tactics that I learned from everyone and that worked well, but about three years ago, I started finding that um, I was just really competing against everyone else out there who knew those same sales tactics. And uh, then when I started creating anti-selling, where I'm going, I'm honest, I'm upfront, I, I educate them with the values, I show them exactly what I'm making, and, uh, and I build rapport with them at a very high level, and we just talk about what they want to talk about. And I help them like un unravel the onion a little bit so they know what they're deaf time, they don't really know what they want, and I'm just helping them figure that out. And whatever level of time and energy it takes, I... I decided that it's like, Hey, I could make, I'm making 38 K a flip. So if I got to sit with someone for eight hours, it would be worth it for 38 K. And, uh, and right now our biggest struggle is finding flips. So I, I took that mindset on and my conversion went from like one in 23 leads to down to one in eight right now. So I'm really converting at a very high level, uh, which is important since it's so expensive to get a lead these days. I mean, literally lead cost is almost triple what it was five or six years ago. Well, I take it too also now that you've, you've really set your sights on just whatever is your five-star prospect. So even doing the 30 deals, you, you could take that time, right? Because a lot of us, when we're trying to do more volume, it's just, okay, here's the offer. If it works for you, great. If it doesn't, okay, on to the next one. Works for you, great, on to the next one. And mm -hmm. as good as that is, you know, if you actually sit there and, and take the time to understand what the person wants, you're the one who's always going to get that deal compared to the 10 other people that are just running in and out of the door. Yeah. Give us some good context and your parameters you look for just to really hone in that you're not wasting time. Because I know, you know, for multifamily in the beginning, you know, you just get a ton of deals across your desk. You want to look at everything and you know that yeah. eventually that's just not the best use of your time. Then you have to be so diligent to say, okay, if I want to, you know, 1975 to 2000 product, that's a hundred units to 150 units. Well, if I get a 1968, that's 98 units, I'm not going to look at it because it's a waste of my time and I just can't keep fudging it. Cause where does that line stop? All of a sudden I'm at 50 units in 1960. If I just keep allowing it to go and go and go. So talk to us about what do you do to hone that process? So you can take those hundred opportunities you see a day down to, you know, five, one, whatever it is. I think you started to really touch on it, right? It's creating like a property avatar or a customer avatar. Like this is the, where I'm most profitable. Like for you, you pretty much just said that, like, I can't look at everything. I have to figure out where have I made all my money? So if you're new, then figure out where are people making money, where are your other competitors doing really well. For me, it's first time home buyer houses in Maryland. We're looking at stuff that's like 175 to 300. It's a great price point around like 40 to 70 K in renovation tends to be where all my best profits come from, where things start to get a little more efficient 
fishy is when I'm taking on 100K plus renovation, uh, higher price points or lower price points, like really low price points and having like iffy buyers that, you know, need like 17 grants to get the settlement, you know, not going to get a consistent result from that. Now, do I make 20K on that? Yes. But I now learn to say no to the 20K to make room for the 38K. And I'll, now by doing that, which isn't easy for me because I don't like, I feel like I'm leaving 20K on the table. My coach actually was like, no, you're moving the 20K out because you only have space for so many houses and you have to be picky of who takes your spots. Like you can only do so many houses at once. So you can't let the 20K in. You let that, let them in. They're kind of going to run off the 38 K's number one. Cause, and it made sense. He was giving me like this analogy. It's like, if you, you, you create a really great group of people and you let one bad seed in, then the group's not so great anymore. So you have to make sure you don't poison the well essentially. And uh, that's what, it, it was hard for me. That was a big discipline play. So creating a property avatar. And then for me, once I understand, okay, this is the core property that I like. Well, now my prospecting can get very focused. And if someone calls me and says, I have a multi-unit building, I'm just like pass. Now I might push yeah. it off to someone like you or someone that really wants that and maybe get a referral fee. But instead of me, I used to just go out and try to make it happen, wholesale it, do all kind of crazy stuff. Now I'm just like, Mike, stay in your lane. And it's not easy for me, but I have to constantly keep pushing myself back to my lane. And uh, so it, once I'm in the lane, I'm talking to the right person. Well, half the battles won right there talking to the right person. The right person looks like for me is someone who obviously has equity. Uh, the house, I, my belief is it needs to be in bad enough shape for me to bring value to the situation. You know, if it's obviously like a really nice house, I, I like to do business in a very honest and ethical way. So, uh, what I've started doing is somebody calls me and they're like, my house is in great shape. You know, can you come make me an offer? I'm like, well, listen, it's in great shape. I mean, I can just be honest and upfront with you. It wouldn't be best for me to make you an as this offer. This would be better for you to list it with an agent because currently in the market we're in, uh, an agent can bring a lot more value to you. But where we bring value is the second that a house becomes as is, where someone could not get a, a traditional loan on it, then that's where we start to bring value and it might make some sense to work with us. And uh, if they tell me the house is not bad enough shape that it would, you know, it could actually pass a home inspection, then I'll, I'll try to list it as an agent or pass it off as a referral. Uh, and that's part of me being very diligent. That's, so that's first thing that's in bad enough shape that it has enough equity. And then I would say that they 100% are selling is really big for me, that they're clear that they are going to sell in the next 30 days. So that means in their there's some time sensitivity. There's not like, hey, we're just checking this out for the next six months. Uh, maybe, maybe we'll sell, maybe we won't. You know, so if they, now maybe we'll sell and maybe they have equity and they've got everything else might make them a three or four star prospect. And I don't throw away three or four star prospects. I still work with them. The key to everything I'm doing is I prioritize. If I get really busy in a day and I'm going to have to not call maybe a lead back, then guess who I'm calling first? The five star prospect, the three star prospect might get called back an extra day or two later. Knowing also as being a three star prospect, they're not very time sensitive. So if I was the way to take a week to call them back or a couple of days, well, someone probably won't snatch up on that deal. Five-star prospect. It's like get in your car, hit the gas, you know, yeah, hope, you know, put your radar thing on. Don't get caught. And, you know, I'll usually say things like, well, I happen to be in the area this, this afternoon, Jason. Would you like yeah. to meet then? Because I, I know like by tomorrow it could be gone potentially. And I, that, that speed of uh, delivery has been the key to how I've been winning is uh, literally if a good, good lead comes in, I cancel appointments to go to it if they're willing. So if you're surveying the market right now, it's so competitive and, and just looking at the landscape and talking about how these five star prospects, you're jumping in the car and you're getting there just because of how competitive it is. If someone's starting out in this business, how can they start to 
position himself across the landscape to really have a, have a, just a chance to succeed against so much competition? I think number one thing for me is, and, um, and I've really been focusing on this lately because even sometimes I'm kind of slow, right? I have a lot of things going on in life. I'm on a podcast or doing whatever, working on my Facebook group, uh, who knows? But uh, I've noticed that when overall, when I have bad months of picking properties up, it's usually I'll look at my response time to the leads and I see that it's somewhere between five to seven days. Like uh, something comes on the MLS, I'm putting an offer in around day five to seven. Uh, I'm usually not getting a good deal. The, what I'm seeing is that if in usually the first 24 to 48 hours, is really that sweet spot because uh, ultimately the only people really looking at a house and being able to make an offer on a house in the first say one to three days are generally savvier investors like me who know numbers and once we start getting into what I call the slow money, which is somewhere between like five to 10 days on the market, then that's usually going to be the newbie who wants to get into this, who has an agent telling them crazy ARVs. Maybe, you know, they, they think they can do it cheaper than they can. They just don't have the perfect information, essentially. Uh, they're the slow money. So when the slow money comes, you really can't beat a newbie who just doesn't know their numbers, who hasn't hired a coach and doesn't know what they're doing. They're going to, you know, they're going through the school of hard knocks, essentially. So you're not going to win against them. So if I had to give the like, the best advice I can give to a new person is figure out and create a process, even as a newbie, that if you were able to identify a good deal and figure that out, and you could do that quickly. Like if you knew it was a good deal, you have to have a sense of urgency because the law, every day you wait, your opportunity to get that deal goes down drastically. Like, like I said, five to 10 days in, you pretty much are going to, if you win at that point, you probably paid too much. However, where I'm winning most of my deals on the MLS is when I'm able to get the agent to write for me and uh, get them to push it through in the first one to two days. And, uh, and sometimes three or four is fine, but every day after that, I know I'm on a time clock, right? I'm, I'm in quicksand and it's going quick and I'm getting ready to lose this deal. Wow. Speed of implementation. That's, that's huge. Right. And everything to the point, but if you, I, I think with a lot of new people and I've been there is that you get so hesitant cause you, you just, you don't know what you don't know. So you say, Oh, well, I, I just, I'm not quite sure. And you, you know, by the time you look at that four, six, eight months later, like, man, that was an awesome deal. If I just knew what I knew now, then, but on that part, Surround yourself with the right people. You've heard it from Mike multiple times, having someone on your side that can really help you just pivot yourself and just understand the process and have that speed. It's so huge. So if we're looking at your business right now, what's something you're working on improving? Right now, my big thing I've been focusing on, and uh, I just did this on my last flip and it worked amazing, is uh, I've always had like a process, right? I just flip every house the same. And I'm still doing that, but I'm upgrading the overall emotional value of my flip. So I would always make it very logically because I'm a logical guy. Like this is it. Every box, it's great. This is what people want. Now I'm actually creating in every house. I'm, I'm logically taking and putting what I call like uh, SWOMO features, which stands for me what I call selling with multiple offers because I want every house to sell with multiple offers. And what I found out looking back through my data is that the houses itself with multiple offers are the ones that had something special about them. And uh, now not every house automatically has that. But so what I'm doing is taking time to put a few special things in every house. And since I started doing that a few months ago, I've seen more things sell with multiple offers, which by the way, for me is how you end up getting people to pay more than what you would expect. Uh, just recently, we got a house at 320 that uh, went for 350. I had a student's house that he listed for 290, he got 330 something. And uh, it literally took our 40K profits up like into the 70s. So talk to us, what's, what's an example? Now, everybody's here, wanting to know what's a great example of something that, that, that stands out that you put in these houses? 
So a couple things. I'll tell you some students and also some of what I've done. Some one student is putting s'mores in the house, a fire pit, like staging like yeah. beautiful backyard and putting a swing set out. Uh, I personally love doing like uh, like maybe a beautiful accent wall behind the the master. Uh, you know the double vanity, like taking a whole wall and doing tile on it, so it looks really mm-hmm. cool. Um, doing like a nice fan or something like a three or four hundred hour fan that like is a, like is a that's a statement piece like in the living room or yeah. the master. So I'm really just pumping up the masters, the living room, dining room kitchen making sure we have that complete open concept in the kitchen you know nice island everything that like is the dream right the dream is the the kitchen with the island with the little stools and the the lights hanging down and all the cool stuff and making sure that uh layout is perfect right Mm -hmm. that's something we've been spending a lot of additional time we used to just kind of all right we can put this there and there and that would be good but now it's all about making that layout great like what really really thinking through it so i'm actually spending about uh five or six hours i used to spend a couple hours of flip now i'm spending about an additional few hours like three or four more hours on the planning piece of the flip and really strategically looking through this and saying what am i going to add that's going to make people say oh that's the s'mores house oh that's the house with the fire pit oh that's the house with the cool towel behind you know like almost if your name has a if your house has a name then you've stood out and you've created emotional value because if we you think about any negotiation if we have if we're negotiating with someone who is emotionally attached to the negotiation we're always going to have an advantage and have the ability to net more income with that person then if we're negotiating with someone who has a logical attachment you know what I love about that is that you're putting a statement piece in there that, that most notably is probably for the price point of the house. Not it, it wouldn't be built into that house, but just because you're putting into that house, the buyer profile for those buyers, it's something that they're, they're not accustomed to. And so they're going to all these other houses that are within that 175000 300000 mark. Well, they're, they're not really having that showcase piece because and they're not used to the custom. So they walk in your house and it just pops out to them. They're just like, wow. And, and for people who are and houses, you know, it's like, well, you know, it's a $150,000 house. I can't put a $400 fan in. Well, that $400 fan comes back, get you, you know, the, the slow-mo effect, get you, all, you can multiple offers. And for that, like you said right there, get you over asking to the point multiple times or, or just bidding more just on a piece where $400 is probably worth an additional 10,000 if you think about it in the big picture. Yeah, perfect example. A student, uh, he, me and him strategically put a plan to spend five additional thousand bucks. He had a 70K renovation to put 75 instead. And the 5K, he was able, he got a designer. He'd spent an extra 800 on staging. Staging was beautiful. Like yeah. he brought in a way better stager than like a, what I normally use, the cheap one. And uh, the house looked phenomenal. But then he did a little bit of custom tile, upgraded that. He did uh, over his fireplace, he did shiplap and did some cool stuff there. Nice. He did some really awesome backsplash. Uh, he did a very cool like design, like a, you know, Crawford ceiling around like the, the chandelier that was hanging. It was a lot of little things like that. And yeah. throughout the house, I think when people looked at that house versus his competitors, they realized like some of the competitors like have a missing piece of wood. They haven't finished things. You know, they're putting houses on the market that are 98% done. He uh, wasn't only a hundred percent done and really punched out, got a home inspection. Cause that's a big thing we believe in. Is yeah. that's details that he really made it beautiful but he also then put an additional 5k and an additional 5k ended up netting him 30 extra thousand bucks wow. so one of the one of the best investments you can ever make now will it always do that no but i will tell you that in my experience since i've been doing it uh, anytime i put a couple thousand dollars strategically in the home i at least get that or more and even wow. if i just get a faster sale a better buyer all those things actually add up to money you know yeah. if i get a buyer who can settle in 21 days and will take a home inspection off uh, that's going to mean real dollars to me versus like one that's going to be 45 days and you know drive me crazy and ask for everything on a home inspection 
that is one of the best points. And so people should just go back and listen to that and on repeat if you're into the flipping process here, because that, that is just a moneymaker for everyone listening. It's that you, you just take that little bit of extra time. And, and just like what you said right there, you may make it up in the price. You may make it up in the speed they can close. I mean, there's so many different ways. I and mean, that, that's awesome. Looking at your business now, like where we're at, what, what is your plan over the next three, five years? Where, where are you going? It's interesting because uh, no one's impressed with where I'm going, but I'm really happy about it. I'm actually scaling down the profit up. So I did 71 yeah. houses last year. Uh, this year, my plan is to cut that in half and make the same or more. Uh, funny enough, I've actually already just with this last house, I just made like 70K on. Uh, I just actually uh, met my whole income for last year doing 71 houses and I'm only uh, 20 some houses in. So I'm probably going to end up doing about 40 when it's all said and done, cutting it almost in half. And I'm going to make like, you know, maybe double the profit, but I already know I'll at least make the same profit if I make nothing the rest of the year. So uh, I'm pumped about doing less and making more. And, and then, so when you ask where I'm going the next three years, uh, well, my plan is going to systematically keep going down. I'm going to go from 40 to 30, and but I'm going to constantly keep getting more from every house. I'm going to keep wow. just weeding down to the ones that make all the money, to the ones that potentially could get 30K over list. And if I get to where I'm only doing 25 a year, but it's 25 of the big winners, you know, the, the number one properties, like my top 10 or 20% that I've done. Um, that's just going to be the same outcome as doing like 70 and uh, just grinding and having tons of marketing every month, lots of employees, lots of headaches. Uh, it's been a big part of how I've been able to take and fire my schedule and get down to like 15, 20 hours a week because I'm working a lot less to get, and I'm getting more from what I'm doing by eliminating the time wasters and getting rid of all the houses that I used to do just because I was like, well, I don't want to leave 20K on the table. I wasn't valuing my time. That is so cool. And yeah, I get it. People, people have that, that shining light, like you've done a hundred houses, but for all that, you're running around with your hair on fire doing a hundred houses or you make yeah. double doing, doing 40. Yep, <laughs> think about that. It. Think about how much better that is right there. Yeah. So. Everyone I tell I'm doing this, they're like, Oh, you're retiring. I'm like, no, I'm making more money. I'm just yeah. doing less. It's like, they're like, no, I don't understand. Yeah. I was like, no, it's like, Oh, you're retiring. No, no, I'm not retiring. No, I'm actually making more money. I'm just doing less. Yeah. I think you should just tell people you're retiring. You're making more money in retirement than you are actually being active and, and see, see if that comes across better, but I love it. Yeah. You have a, you have a company motto or, or, or words that you live by within your uh, business or your philosophy. So we don't, maybe we need one, but I definitely have some things that we live by. And I mean, honestly, I think for, for me, everything's about taking what we currently do, constantly evaluating, always looking at it. Um, for my big shift in beliefs recently, and I believe this should be something to my motto and how I live is, um, it's a big shift on just like, I used to think, well, one day I'll be great at house flipping. And now I realize that I'm on a journey that never ends and it's constant improvement, uh, constant. I'm still working with that coach because I, you know, obviously people are like, what's he still teaching you? Like, well, he really didn't teach me a lot. He's really great at helping me self-discover my superpowers. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's still not, he's still doing that today, three and a half years later. So uh, I don't think we're ever going to probably part ways because at the end of the day, I find myself to be more productive when he's around and, and uh, easily make the money like times five or 10 that I spend with him every year. So my motto anymore is really just like, instead of thinking like, all right, if I learned this one thing from Jason, I would then know everything about multifamily or like for me with 
flipping. And um, and versus like, hey, it's a journey. We're gonna have to keep improving those systems. And what works today will probably not be what works three years from now. So if you're not on that journey of evolvement and evolving, then you're quickly just dying off and you'll start having problems. You mm-hmm. hear this a lot where people have great couple years and then they just die off and just because things mm-hmm. stop working because they didn't evolve. They thought, you know, they got this a very entitled, like, well, I spent 30K on my education, so why would I hire another coach? Yeah. Uh, well, I, I personally thought that myself for a while. Now, now I'm just like, hey, I'm going to be, you know what? There's going to be X amount of dollars, which is 10% of my income, by the way, I spend on education every year. Still to date, I do that in some wow. level of education, whether it's sales, whatever it might be. And that 10% probably makes you a hundred times fold when it's all said and done. So it's just incredible. I quality love of life too, right? And we, yeah. we can't even put a price on that when we start no, thinking about the quality of life that I have today uh, through investing in, you know, working with a consultant and a fixer and, um, you know, being able to work 20 hours a week. I travel. I've now gotten into helping coaching other people, which I don't make very much money at, but I'm giving back and I love it. And, you know, I'm able nice. to do my own podcast too. And uh, it's cool things. Like I never had time for that in the past because yeah. you know, I was working my life away. And uh, now I get to do some cool stuff, hang out, talk to guys like you. And That's I think awesome. I'm better for it, by the way. I mean, I, I'm certainly a better flipper today uh, as part of a community and having, you know, being part of and versus when I was in my little cave wow. and just like building my systems, but I was like in my cave. So my systems didn't have a lot to compare it to. Yeah. Mike, this has been awesome. Really enjoyed the show. I know people have gotten a ton out of this. If, if there's a person who's listened here, and we've already touched on a lot of these points, but we always ask this at the end here. If there's someone that's just sitting on the sidelines and just looking to get started, what's an actual step they should take today to get themselves into the game? I think first step for everyone, right? Until you get this done, you shouldn't think of anything else. It's like, how do I start looking at those properties that make sense? Uh, how do I start prospecting and talking to people and making offers, right? If you, you know, that's all that matters until you get a deal. Everything else you figure out afterwards, but you got to have a, a, a plan to get taking action on looking and talking to people. Because uh, I think too many times we'll sit, like for me, I sat for six years reading books and saying one day I'll take action, but it wasn't until I actually started doing stuff that I, I got any results. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like that. Uh, I could, I could read a book about riding a bike, but until I get on the darn bike, <laughs> I don't know what I don't know. Right. So 100%, you got it, man. Yeah, that's awesome. Mike, well, this has been super awesome, man. Really enjoyed it for people that are listening. What's the best way to find you the best way to connect and hear more about you? Uh, two ways. I think go to my website, which is uh, theflipfactor.net, uh, or you can email me personally at mike at theflipfactor.net. Uh, so both pretty congruent. And, and the podcast, same, same title, Flip Factor Podcast? The Flip Factor Podcast. Yeah, awesome. I have to keep it easy, man. That way I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't forget. That's it, right? Streamline. I love it. Everything, everything about it. So, well, Mike, this has been awesome. We really appreciate your time. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you, Jason. I appreciate it. Awesome. Well, this is Jason with the Real Estate Investing Foundation Podcast. Thank you so much to all the listeners. Thank you huge to Mike Green. What an awesome show. We'll talk to you shortly. Bye now. Mm-hmm.